0: Hi Yogis, welcome back to another episode of uh, Run Yogi Diaries. This is your host, Santo Shiva. I hope you had a wonderful week and you also got some time to play, swim, bike, run, whatever is your thing. Every week I bring you conversations with people who are on a journey of well-being and endurance. I hope they spark some possibility in you, leave you with some tips and perhaps some inspiration to perspire. My guest today is a lifelong runner and more recently a sponsored barefoot ultra runner. He describes himself as a primalist. He is a nutritionist, qigong, breathwork and primal moment instructor, a world class life empowerment coach and holistic connection specialist. He has dedicated his entire life to the pursuit of self connection and mastery from studying Vajrayana tantric buddhism and inner fire to working extensively with shamanic plant medicines and sacred space ceremony. His mission in life is simple, to show you how to reconnect to the primal elemental forces within yourself and become the most powerful liberated version of of you possible. Let's get behind the scenes on what defining moment set him on this path of self discovery off the beaten path. Let's welcome C John Sawyer. Hey C, welcome to Run Yogi Diaries. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure indeed. You're you're almost a, a real life yogi uh, and uh, <laughs> this is Run Yogi podcast so <laughs> what a what a wonderful, you know, uh, combination and uh, such a pleasure having you here. You have such a, a powerful you know, uh, credential. Uh, you you've been you've got a degree. You've, you've studied herbal medicine. You've been in military, and you know been through that space. Um, and, and then you know you've uh, studied tantric, you know Buddhism and sh- shamanism, and you know you have your own uh, you know framework of uh, of all of these that you put together. So we want to learn a lot, obviously, in the conversation. So before that. Let me have you do a quick personal introduction and then we'll kind of jump in. 100% yeah, my name is C
1: Sawyer and I currently live just north of Tampa in Florida with my wife and two dogs and what you're about to hear is a small part of my journey. Um, I I know you want to unpack as much as you can. It's been an incredibly long journey so uh, (laughs) we'll get as much as we can but uh, yeah, you're, you're dead on the money. I've I've walked multiple journeys through this life. I've studied, I have, you know, several degrees in health related fields, understanding that the human body, anatomy, physiology, and how it relates to movement and that sort of thing, uh, nutrition. And I've also gone the other way and, and moved away from the academic path and, and studied with shaman since arriving here in America. And I've worked a lot with plant medicines in sacred space and also embraced that. To, uh, the, the Tibetan Buddhist tantric path and uh, working with that quite a lot now to embrace and cultivate inner fire or tummo.
0: Lovely, yeah, it's all uh, esoteric. At the same time, it's really it's real, uh, you know. And uh, so, uh, we, 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 uh, my audience and all the audience would love to hear, uh, uh, understand a little bit more of what what you just said. So maybe we should start with a bit of a flashback. You know, like uh, how did it all start? You. You're all an ultra runner. So let's get into how did it all start and how did running kind of enter this mix?
1: Yeah, totally. So it's a, a really interesting backstory. I, I was quite young when I started realizing that I didn't really uh, find myself at home in the world that I was living in. Uh, I was growing up as a the youngest of two in a household, parents were still together, and everything was okay. But something just wasn't quite right in my life. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And I started asking some really big questions. I I remember this one particular day, I I said to my mother, how do you know that your dream when you're dreaming that that's not really your real life? And when you're awake, it's not some kind of dream. And Mm -hmm. I could see her face kind of get really concerned and she said okay we need to go and see somebody and she took me to the, the local doctor and she said ask the doctor what you asked me and I asked him the question and he smiled and he said well because there's consequence you know that the reality is if you do something in real life the next day there's still a consequence of that action It's not like that in dreams and I, I said to him but how do we know that our real nature is not without con- is, is you know that we don't have consequence it's just part of who we are and he kind of got this really tired look in his eyes, and he said, I don't know the answer to that. You're going to have to go and meditate or something. See what you can find within yourself. And I, I had no idea what that meant. All I understood in that moment was that if this learned doctor, the most educated man I knew, couldn't answer these questions for me, then nobody could. I had to mm-hmm. find these answers myself. So I took a journey, and that journey began with me finding my feet, so to speak, with running. It, it's where mm-hmm. I learned how to meditate. I, I just took to the roads after school. I'd finish my lessons for the day, and I'd put my shoes on, and I'd go out, and I'd start running. And I found the further I ran, the more life started to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how running ties into this for me.
0: Wonderful. And uh, talk a little bit about that. So uh, while you were running during this phase of you know inquiry, uh, what what were you discovering in in the domain of some of the questions that you just shared?
1: Yeah, I don't think that it's necessarily I found any one specific answer. It's that I found almost like the antithesis of that. I found the mm. opportunity to not have questions. So all of the mm. questions disappeared in that space. And that was the most powerful thing I could have. It's 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 like I connected with a silence or a stillness within myself where the questions didn't matter. And I recognized in that moment that this was the meditation the doctors the, 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 the mm-hmm. doctor was referring to, this space of stillness or silence within myself. It's not anything that I could become. It was an unbecoming of everything that I was to embrace the truth of myself, which was that silence or stillness. And I found that every time I went out running.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And um, I, I, it, that resonates with me and it probably resonates with a lot of us who are running. Um, I think uh, the run yogi, uh, the whole idea of run yogi came about with a similar uh, context because Mm. uh, every time I've I've run, uh, I've found myself in spaces which uh, are, uh, you know, the quieter spaces of my own being, you know, Mm. and uh, it might, to some, it might sound woo-woo, but hey, you got to go, you got to go run to really experience that there are moments in running that you get into that space (laughs) Which, which feel, which feels pure for a lack of a better word, whatever you want to call it, but it, it's just pure experience. Uh, so, so make, makes a lot of sense. You um, know,
1: I, I won't take you off track too much because I know we're still very early in the piece. But uh, when when you say um, to to some people this may sound like woo woo to to anyone that's listening, or you know, at any point, you know, whether it's now or, or extended audience or anything like that, what I would say to that is, if it makes you feel good, then it's not woo woo. That there might mm. not be science behind it, but if it feels good, then just go and do it. Like the, you, yeah. you don't need somebody with a piece of paper behind their name doing study after study to prove to you that it feels good to do something. If it feels good, just do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think now there's enough uh, science-backed evidence as well for folks who, you know, necessarily depend on that. There's enough science-backed evidence that mm. connects uh, physical activity to you know neurological growth and you know, brain growth, and there's enough uh, data out there. But you're right, you know, when you're starting off with something like this, it's not always backed by what happens in the lab and things like that. Uh, But well, uh, hey, you know, that's what mysticism is all about. And you're a mystic. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you're not going to necessarily be doing things that are always prescribed in a book, you're going to be experimenting, pushing the boundaries. And that's what probably makes you uh, exciting. And uh, as a, you know, so uh so you kept running and then um you've been running for a long time that means right uh, I mean you know from from age 16 you said and you 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 know probably what 20 30 years since you've been running then
1: Yeah so I would have started probably quite early in my teens casually I've always had a thing for running and it wasn't uh, probably until I was you know 15 or 16 that I really started connecting with that space within myself yeah. in the run Um, And then, you know, started using it more as medicine than anything else for myself. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm in my mid-40s now. So it's been quite some time that I've been running.
0: And uh, did you also do... So did you mostly run uh, as run, use run as meditation? Or did you also do any kind of competitive running at that time when you were young?
1: I never got into the competition side of things because I, I was always i had a massive lack of confidence and I, I couldn't bring myself to stand in competition in case i didn't perform well for whatever reason and that, that would have just been shattering to an already fragile fragile ego so I, I didn't start competing at that stage it wasn't until after my military service that i uh, i started competing
0: so choice of military was that how how does that fit in in this in this field uh, Phase of life where you were exploring, asking questions. How did that happen? Yeah,
1: yeah it was it was actually a really interesting uh, segue in my life because I was, as I was finishing school, I was getting quite heavily into uh, to Buddhist meditation and uh, exploring that Mahayana Buddhist path. And there was a monastery not too far from my house. So when I when I left school. I actually went to the monastery and spent about six months and, uh, you know, I was on the verge of taking vows as a a, a Buddhist monk. And then I just completely changed tack, left the monastery and went and joined the military. Now, it's something that probably, although it came out of left field, wasn't unexpected because my entire family before me were all military. And they, they looked at me as like the dark horse of the family, being that I wasn't looking at that. I was looking at the, you know, that inward, more peaceful path. So... To them, I guess they all breathed a sigh of relief when I left Monastery and went and joined the military. But to me, it wasn't necessarily the greatest move, but it uh, it, it all worked creating the tapestry of who I've become. So I am grateful for the path.
0: Right, and it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because uh, on one hand, there's you that's exploring free-flowing and with these very abstract ideas. And then uh, military, which is regimented, You probably had a very disciplined life, uh, you know, uh, so I'm very fascinated how you managed to fit in the two. It almost must have been very conflicting in that sense, right?
1: Yeah, it didn't. It didn't fit well at all. And it was definitely super conflicting with the truth of my nature. And I guess that's part of the journey as it unfolded for me was uh, I went through that and it turned me into something that I wasn't. You know, both in terms of uh, the aggression that I was starting to experience and exhibit in my everyday life towards people, and this flightiness that I developed. You know, I, I, I just if if somebody challenged me and it was more than I felt I could overcome with that aggression, I would just take off. So it, it, I feel like in many respects that the military service definitely um, created somewhat of a fracturing inside of me, but it was also a necessary part of the path. I, I needed to know what that felt like so that I could bring myself back together more completely.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. So, makes sense. uh, coming back to running itself while all this happening and I'm sure, uh, you know, being in military definitely added to your fitness. Uh, you know, you, you must have become fitter physically for sure, uh, mm-hmm. while you're going through this process. And, um, From a running journey perspective, did you then go into like marathons and the form, you know, events like ultra marathons during that time, or when did when did that happen?
1: Yeah, I actually started doing triathlon with the military. So um, every Thursday afternoon, anybody that was involved in a sport was uh, exempt from uh, duties. So I very quickly found a sport that was in alignment with something that was part of my life, which was endurance. They they didn't Mm -hmm. do marathon or just running. It was, you know a sport and the only thing that I connected with was triathlon so I started doing that mostly to get out of duty and I found that I really loved it aside from the swimming you know I splash around in the kiddie pool I I can swim and I can swim long distances but I can't do it quickly so that was the the weakest leg for that whole thing and that's why I never stuck with triathlon you know i i moved into adventure racing and then um ultra marathon eventually but yeah it it was definitely part of it the army loved that i was a very fit runner
0: (laughs) yeah so so when did when did when did ultra marathon when did the world of ultras come in was it after you moved to these states or did it happen while you were back in australia
1: yeah, no. So I've been doing ultra marathons since I was in my early 20s and mm. um, racing, you know, Australia. I raced the, the Glasshouse 100, which was a beautiful 100 mile race in the Glasshouse Mountains of Queensland. And I started doing my own events. You know, I, I ran from um, Brisbane to the Gold Coast, which was uh, about 120 kilometers, the route that I took. And then I started planning bigger and bigger runs. So I, uh, I planned to run across the Tanami Desert in Australia, which is a stretch that goes from a place called Halls Creek in the Kimberley of Western Australia all the way down to Alice Springs, and it's a uh, 1,055 kilometers of desert trail. So I, I, plan- I planned and attempted to run that. Now, that. That wasn't a successful undertaking for me. I couldn't finish it. But... Uh, it was great experience getting out there and knocking out several hundred miles over a series of days and just being in the desert. So that ultra running has always been a part of my background uh, from, well, from the time I was in my early 20s. Yeah.
0: And you know, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the uh, the monks in, uh, in in Japan. There is a, I don't remember the exact name of the monastery, but there are monks out there who as a part of their initiation into the monastery go on these one thousand mile uh, run or mountaineering expeditions, um, so it seems like um, in your case, uh, it you know ultra running just kind of fit in well because you were already in that you know in that path uh, for for a lack of a better word, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it was almost the medicine for me, and I, I say it like that because it wasn't always the healthiest of pursuits. You know, like anything, it can be abused. And I I started to abuse it. There was a lot of fracturing inside of me from my military days, from, you know, there was a lot of trauma. There was some younger childhood trauma in there that I had managed to just push down deep enough that the Army psych screening couldn't find it. And it just got exasperated with all of that. So for me, uh, running, especially ultramarathon running, was very much about... uh, running from my problems. It became more of me trying to replace one pain that I could feel growing inside of myself with another pain that I could control. And that's that's what I did. I pushed far enough with it that I started to realize this is what I'm doing. You know, there was kind of like this collision of these worlds. There was this holistic pursuit of running that I had from the time i was very young where running created silence within me but then there was also this aspect where i was running for the wrong reasons i was running to mm. escape one pain because i had this new pain that i could focus on it's just this pain of running massive miles and when these two elements collided within myself it almost created an explosion of just i mean i I don't even really have an analogy of what it was. It was just an explosion of truth, I guess, that I couldn't run for these purposes anymore. If I wanted to embrace it, I needed to change things within myself. And that's where, I guess, the pilgrimage of my life ultimately began.
0: Yeah, let's let's maybe get into that because that's a very critical, it looks like that's been a defining uh, aspect of your life. So when you say pilgrimage, talk a little bit about that. What happened after that?
1: Yeah, so at that point, um, I basically loaded up my 4x4 van and took off. Uh, I I took off into the middle of Australia and I made my way into the deserts and didn't tell anyone where I was going, didn't have any cell service, and I was out there for, you know, a huge period of time. And I was just living, parked in my van, sleeping in my van, howling at the moon, running around barefoot in the desert going crazy. And uh, I remember there was one night in particular that – I was watching the Sun go down and I felt super alone and I felt really afraid and I just felt this massive well up of emotion and I started crying my eyes out and I was like literally thumping the the, the ground and beating my fists and you know it was just again like it was an explosion of emotion in that moment and Mm when the sun set and everything became still and calm and there was no sound and there was nothing to be seen except just the just a perfect set of stars above me and there was nothing else i was lying on the roof of my van looking at the stars this calmness swept over me and i realized that that was me almost coughing out that uh that crap that i had been carrying mm-hmm. and that was a beautiful defining moment of my life. It, it literally was a moment that I set myself free. And so uh, the next day I loaded everything up and drove out of the desert and found civilization and you know started reintegrating myself into uh, to, to civilization. That wasn't where it ended that was kind of where it began you know because Mm. as as things go we we tend to think we take the medicine and we're better but it's not how it works you know we we take the medicine and it just opens a doorway for us and then that doorway is something we have to step through and then we take the journey of understanding that's the integration and so i then spent the next several years integrating that and that journey was a process that took me to the northern fijian islands where i became a yoga teacher trainer Mm. um or yoga teacher, I should say. did my yoga teacher training. Um, It took me to um, the the jungles of uh, northern Thailand and, you know, I was running around barefoot up there, you know, hunting and living with them. And then, uh, yeah, from there, uh, the story just, I guess, continues with a bit more normality. That's, you know, the point where I, I met my now wife and life just unfolded as it has.
0: Wow so what happened to you on the on the van in the middle of a desert is uh, probably what people call enlightenment in in uh, in a lot of cultures right uh, you know
1: what, i would say of- that it was a moment of expansion within myself mm. uh, i tend to shy away from the word enlightenment purely mm. because there's so much stigma attached to it it's it's almost mm. like the word love <laughs> you know yeah. it just it gets thrown around a whole lot it has this huge, big, scary meaning to it. It literally just means knowing yourself. And yeah. I, I would say in that respect, then yes, it was a process of me knowing myself in that moment. There, there was definitely yeah. a, an unveiling for me. And it's taken a long time from that point for me to make sense of and integrate the experience. But it's definitely enriched me in ways I couldn't have imagined for having done so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I I, I hear you. And, and there's always a challenge like in the Eastern cultures uh, where I come from in India, you know, we use words like Nirvana and Moksha. And, um, you know, you hear about people going to Himalayas and uh, meditating for, uh, you know, years and maybe days and years and end to sometimes uh, talk about some of the experiences that you're talking about. And sometimes it's hard to retrofit that into a Western vocabulary because there isn't an exact word, you know, that might... Uh, represent what moksha is or what um, you know um, nirvana is and i'm i'm a part of a modern world and it's not like i understand mm-hmm. and know all of it but i know uh, i uh, i do get a sense of it in a way you know when someone's talking like in your in your case you're talking about an actual experience and there's no way for me to replicate what you experienced there but i have a sense of it um you know the what it could have been mm-hmm. uh, you know and and so yeah that, and, and and not many fee- not many people are lucky to experience that, so uh, you you de- you definitely are one of those lucky ones in a way.
1: you know one of the interesting things that happened when I uh, had come out of the desert i I went south and i you're probably not super familiar with the geography of Australia, but I basically came down the middle from uh, Birdsville all the way down the desert trail. And then I I arrived at what's known as the Great Australian Bight. And it's just this big stretch of cliffs with the raw Southern Ocean right there. And I I felt like I had been set free in many respects, but I also felt like I was now without any real purpose or direction. What was next after that experience? So I I almost gave an ultimatum to the divine, if you will. And I, I came out to the cliff And I stood on the cliff and I was looking down at the ocean and there was a little stretch of beach just off to the side. And I thought, okay, the the water's probably deep enough. If I have a purpose in life, allow me to survive, bring me back. And I jumped, I jumped into the water. And as soon as I hit the water, the water was absolutely freezing. It was like being stabbed with all these needles all over my body. And I was swimming for all I could. And there was a strong current that I couldn't have seen from the cliff. And I was being pulled like further out and I'm looking up at the cliffs looking for anybody to you know to save me to shout out to to help me and there was no one there I was in an isolated stretch of the country and after about 15 minutes my my arms just felt so fatigued and I was out of breath and I thought that's it I'm done and this wave of panic swept over me and then I went underneath the water and in that moment I became completely calm and It was in that calmness where i had just completely given up all sense of myself and right at that minute a wave broke right on top of me and pushed me onto the little beach and then i climbed up the cliff collapsed next to my van and i lay there for the rest of the day just looking at the sky and i had this uh i had this didgeridoo that i own and I, i was able to blow into it but i couldn't circular breathe After that experience, I grabbed my didgeridoo that night and started playing it, and I could play it perfectly. Just circular breathing, and I was just sitting there for hours beside my fire playing my didgeridoo. So just a little interesting side
0: story. (laughs) Yeah, fascinating. And and you said, um, you talked about purpose, and and did that at at that point, you you, you get a sense of your purpose?
1: I had no idea what it was, but I knew there was definitely one in there.
0: (laughs) Okay, and and I think... Uh, you went on to you, you, of course, continued running, and um, uh, while well, all this was happening in your life, right? And you also went on to get, you know, certified as a coach. You you educated yourself, in in many ways, about the the modern, you know, knowledge of physical science and movement. Um, so it seems like some of those things have converged, and you now have a a point of view about. Mixing all of that together, and you 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 call it primalist uh, lifestyle. Uh, so talk a little bit about that. You know, maybe I'm messing this up, but if you can talk to what what exactly is uh, is that what you do?
1: No, that sounded perfect to me. So ultimately, um, it's it, it literally is. It's it's kind of like that path that walks down the middle of of both sides of of it. So. You've got, like we were talking earlier, people that need the hard science. They need to understand that. And if there's, if the, if it's not present, then there's no truth in what you're saying. And then you've got the other side that are so far removed from caring about the science and are, you know, are almost very uh, airy fairy, I guess, if you will, mm. a little ungrounded. There is a path that walks through the middle of both of those, and they do meet in the middle. And uh, that's what I've dedicated my life to, is finding that point of balance between the two. So I understand the science, you know, I've studied physiology, I've studied anatomy, I understand how the body works. Mm-hmm. I've, I've studied multiple fields. I have a degree in Western herbal medicine. I've studied, um, you know, naturopathy. I've studied nutrition. Um, there's, there's multiple fields there that support my understanding of how the body works and how it works optimally. And then on the other side of that, I have these experiences that can't be defined by that science, you know, experiences within the shamanic world, working with plant medicines in sacred space, you know, ayahuasca being shot out into the universe and having this huge overview of how things work, you know, how how a thought creates, being able to see that science can't map that doesn't mean Mm. it's not real. And so there's definitely a pathway between the two. And what I'm coming to realize is that that pathway for me, from my aspect of it, and that's just one viewpoint, it may not be right for anybody else, but my Mm -hmm. viewpoint of that is that that pathway is what I'm referring to as Earthborn Primalist. And that Earthborn Primalist is referring to us as beings that can interact with the natural world. And from that point of connection, we'll be given and shown everything we need and want to learn.
0: Yeah, very relevant i think it's very mm-hmm. relevant and uh, you know uh, where i come from which is india we um, we have something called ayurveda for example it's been mm-hmm. there for you know thousands of years which is um, which is a, a system of medicine which is you know uh, nature oriented it's you know uses you know uh, the, the plants and uh, herbals system for cure and then you have yoga and all of that stuff, right? So completely, completely makes sense, and it's very relevant to to our modern day life uh, to be able to balance that. Now you are also uh, a ultra runner, and you also run barefoot, right? And mm-hmm. and that's how we kind of that's what got me fascinated about what you do. So it seems like all of what you do, and and then you're running barefoot for these long, you know, distances. Um, talk a little bit about that, like how how uh, how's that helping you and how you, how do you do it so for someone who's listening to this uh who's a runner right mm-hmm. uh you know what do we what do we what are the challenges we deal with we have uh we have, you know flexibility issues we have uh you know mobility issues we have injuries with shoes on uh, with all the gadgets on and here's you uh you know primalist leading a minimalist lifestyle running barefoot and you're fine uh So so talk to us a little bit about how can others incorporate something like that in their life.
1: Yeah, I absolutely believe. And and again, it's one of those things that I I have no way with what I have of scientifically mapping this. But I absolutely believe the connection to the earth, like real connection to it, as in our bare skin on the earth has a way of recharging us. And I believe that, in many respects, the human body is where we're we're both a battery and an oscillator. We store charge, but we generate charge. Qigong is a perfect example of that, Qigong, Qigong, however you want to pronounce it. Something that I've studied a lot and I love doing it. I love my practice. Qigong will say that as you twist certain movements, you're generating charge, you're generating Qi. Now, you have a way of bringing that Qi into central locations, these dantians within the body. And you can store it or you can use it. You can replenish your different energy centers. There's a a similar practice across all of the different schools. You know, yoga has their version of it, Um, Chinese, traditional and classic Chinese medicine. They all have their own versions of Mm -hmm. it. But ultimately what happens is, I believe, through my experience, when I was running in shoes, I was cutting off connection to that almost primal charge to the earth because shoes are insulating forces. Fact of the matter is, if you've got several inches of rubber under your feet, you could literally grab a live wire and and it's not going to ground through you. That's just Mm. a fact. If you were barefoot and you grab that live wire, you're going to die. And the reason being is because you've now created a perfect circuit to allow that charge to ground. Well, it works the same way. The earth is also an oscillator. The earth is also a battery. It's got its own Mm. charge. Now, what I started to realize as I ran barefoot is that I was able to come back from a run that I would normally be feeling a little bit fatigued from and I wasn't feeling fatigued. What made the difference? Bare skin on the earth was allowing that charge to come back into my body. And I actually got into a like a little heated discussion with someone on the barefoot group that we met on um, who, completely disagreed with the concept of earthing or grounding. You know, it's not real. It can't be measured. It's just crap. It's snake oil. And to that, I say, it may be true. It may be snake oil. It may be complete crap. But the fact of the matter is, I feel better when I come in from a run after doing it barefoot. Now, Mm -hmm. the journey to going barefoot, if somebody is running in shoes and, and they're a little bit intrigued by what I've just said, and they want to start taking the journey. I would say do it slowly. It's taken me a good four years to be completely barefoot, you know, out out to any distance, on any terrain. It's taken me about four years to get to that point. During that time, I haven't done everything right, but what I have done has enabled me to now thrive without injury on my longer miles. I don't get any impact injuries anymore. My running style has completely changed. The one key that I would suggest you use, no matter what you're doing, is always use your skin as the benchmark of how far you can go. And what I mean by that is if you go out onto the pavement and you do two miles and your feet are covered in blood by the end of that, then that is too much for you. Hmm. Your joints are going to be okay with it. The skin is weaker than the joints, the connective tissue, all of those ligaments and tendons that can cause you problems further up in your knees, your hips, your lower back. If your skin can survive and isn't damaged after the end of a, a barefoot run then your connective tissue the, the entire kinetic chain is going to be okay so you use your skin as the indication rather than the
0: kinetic chain makes sense hmm. and 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 what about your 100 miler uh, when was when did you do that barefoot was it that was recently right
1: Yeah, so um, that was a run that I've done basically on my own bat. It wasn't a competition, it was just Mm -hmm. something that I went out and did. Uh, I do have a competition coming up, which is the Long Haul 100 uh, here in Florida. It's Central Florida, and that's in January. And so that's going to be barefoot for me as well.
0: Is that okay? So is that going to be your first like uh, uh, official event where you're going to do 100 on barefoot? Yes. Okay, wow. That's that's amazing. And what kind of terrain is it going to be?
1: I believe it's varied. I haven't been out to the site, but it's uh it's a blend of hard packed dirt, um some sand, um so I think some grassy stretches.
0: Nice. Yeah. So um terrific. Now, you know, um good luck with that. We will you know we, we will we'll keep we will cheer for you and make sure that hope and intend that you complete that uh, so talking about kind of pivoting a little bit about your uh, coaching and what you do at uh, earthbound right is it EarthBound, right the two things yeah. so uh, so w- w- what what do you do there what kind of coaching do you provide and how, how do you help people using using some of the things that you've put together
1: yeah so it's something that I've really only just gone back to after some time of not um, Coaching hasn't been at the forefront of my mind for the past twelve months or so. Just you know, it's it's been a period of, of deep introspection for myself to really figure out what it is that I want to offer the world. Hmm. And over that time, I've been able to collect all of basically everything that I, I am, everything that I've been doing, and bring it together in this one package that's now known as Earthborn Primal. And the the coaching is at this stage literally just offering these small little automated courses I guess that help somebody become more connected in their life more connected to the natural world more connected to themselves more connected to one another and you know just to, to reap the benefits of health wellness and vitality that flow from that so as an example I've got this uh, this course that's a free offering at the moment on my website and it's food sovereignty and it's literally what it says so just to give you a little bit of backstory behind this, I discovered seven keys to self-mastery now that that may sound like a big claim but these seven keys they exist within all of us and, and the way i like to describe it is imagine that you are a house some of those rooms in the house are well known to you it's like your kitchen there's no doors on it it's just open you go in and out of it all the time you know the kitchen very well that's you got some rooms in, so inside yourself that are like that you've got some rooms that are closed doors but they're not locked, and you go into them periodically, like the bedroom. Your bedroom door is potentially closed. You go into the bedroom once a day. It's not as often as the kitchen, but it's it's there, and it's known to you. The bathroom might be another one. And then you've got some doors that are locked, and you've potentially never actually looked in there. You bought a house, as a locked door, and you don't have a key for it, and you've never bothered to get a key made for it. So you've just lived there with this door shut, and you don't know what's behind it. It doesn't mean that you can't get access to it. It just means it's going to require a little bit of work. So what I've discovered is that there are seven keys within each of us. And Mm. those seven keys are what we do in our everyday lives. It's the way we handle ourselves around certain elements. And those elements, once we have mastered them one by one, each one leading to the next, then enables us to gain total mastery over ourselves and become a true creator of our own life. Now, that first key is food. That's key number one. If you cannot control yourself when it comes to your food habits, you've got no point in trying to control anything else in your life. If food controls you, even any aspect of it, if you have to have a coffee to start your morning, you're not in control of your food habits. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with having coffee of a morning. I love my morning coffee, but it needs to be a choice. It can't be a compulsion. It can't be a habit. It can't be a craving. Because from that position, you don't have sovereignty over that. So Food Sovereignty is a program that I have. It's a, it's a small free offering. It's about 15 pages on my, on my website currently. And it breaks down our relationship with food, not so much from a nutrition or dietetic point of view, but more from an understanding of where we stand in relation to food and how a lot of our eating habits are emotionally driven or habitual cravings And that when we take a step back from those, we go through a process of elimination that at the end of that, we gain real control and we start listening to our body. We start learning how to listen to our body. Our body's always speaking, you know, with so many different systems of eating on the planet, there's new diets popping up all the time. How do we know what's the right way to eat for us? Your body knows. Your body has this fundamental inbuilt compass when it comes to food. You just can't hear it when you're overwhelmed with emotional eating habits and cravings and patterns and things like that. So this talks about that and puts it into perspective. So that's, that's, that's one aspect. I've also got a 28 day body reset, which is that elimination process for 28 days, how to go about eating for 28 days that starts removing those emotional eating patterns and cravings and habits and all that sort of thing. And once they're gone, then we're in a position to start listening to our body and doing what it needs us to do. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, so uh, that, that's awesome, See, uh, um, Thanks for sharing your uh, journey here. And uh, it seems like uh, what's next is you seem to be continuing to uh, develop this uh, seven keys. One is food. What about the other six keys? Is there something you can talk to us about it, or is that oh, work in progress?
1: Yeah, no, I can definitely share the keys with you. So the yeah, first one is the first one is food, and again, I like I like to liken this to a house—the process of restoring a house. So if you've got this house and it's all run down, and the doors kind of knocked off its hinges, and the yard's all overgrown, there's plaster hanging off the walls, and the wires hanging out of the ceilings, and you've got raccoons breeding in there on stained rugs and things like that. Anything that you want to try and bring into your world in terms of like you're attracting abundance, you you want to attract a partner or you know something like that you're trying to start a business from that state within yourself and it doesn't necessarily mean you're hugely overweight but you'll know within yourself if this is the state you're in you you know physically if your body's in this state you're, you're eating pizza pockets every night this is kind of where you're at right so that's that's what working with food does that's the first key it's it's a matter of doing the the heavy work, putting plaster back on the walls, putting the rewiring, shooing the animals out, taking care of the yard work, making the house kind of presentable. This is one of the reasons why, so when we get to key two, which is breath, working with the breath, so many people will go to the breath first. And if food isn't in place, trying to go to the breath is literally like trying to dust the window sills in that demolished house, it's pointless. You could you could dust the windowsills you could bring in a cleaning a cleaning person and have the, the you know the, the windowsills dusted and the bench tops wiped down but you've still got plaster hanging off the walls you've still got wiring hanging out of the ceiling it's kind of pointless so we start with food once food is done and it's brought the house back to repair then we go to breath now breath is that more uh, I guess um, refined cleaning within the house this is mm-hmm. where we start cleaning and decorating the house so that that breath work. But the the thing with breath work also is that the further we go with it, the more we really start controlling ourselves. And this is where the journey gets really beautiful. So just as an example, I work quite heavily with Tumo or uh, uh, Inner Fire Breathing. And Tumo being um, the the, the goddess of fire and passion um, from, from Tibet. And the, the, the practice is breathing in a particular way that starts increasing your, your body temperature so that you can withstand the cold. Now, Wim Hof is a great opponent yeah. of this. He's discovered a, a way through tumor breathing, and he has his Wim Hof method now. One of the things that this does for you, just as an example, this morning, um, so I have this chest freezer that I have in my garage because I live in Florida. It never gets cold here. I have a chest freezer full of water and the water is held with a thermostat at a constant 37 degrees Fahrenheit. It's about two degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. And I sit in that every morning after doing my TUMO breathing. Now, I watched my thermostat because I cut power to the freezer, so it can't turn itself on while I'm in it, just in case water leaks through. But while I was sitting in there this morning, I'm watching the thermostat as I'm doing my TUMO in a fire breathing the thermostats climbing, and I actually managed to raise the temperature of the water 10 degrees while I was in there this morning. So it went from 37 to 47, almost 50 degrees, just from five minutes of sitting in there doing 2 more breathing. This is how powerful we are with our, our breath. So that's just one example of what we can achieve. You know, we have the ability to change which nervous system we're operating from. We can shift from our autonomic, Uh, That sympathetic nervous system to our parasympathetic nervous system. We can do that. It's no longer autonomy. We can choose what we do with that. We can activate our sympathetic nervous system if we're, uh, you know, we have some kind of pathogen invading our body. We can attack it actively. We can also deactivate and turn on rest and digest if our body's overacting with something. So, very powerful. The breathing is amazing. Mm -hmm. The next one after breathing is conditioning. And conditioning refers to things like being barefoot on the Earth, mm-hmm. being subjected to freezing cold water, being subjected to extreme heat in summer. And there's definitely gentle pathways that need to be taken when doing this, because the fact is, as we start to move into conditioning, where we're really working with the elements and the elements within us, the elements without us and those elements don't play. They are a playful force but they don't play like they 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 will hurt you if you go too fast into that you know there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. in the wim hof group that have really hurt themselves because they've mistreated the cold the cold is a formidable force so is the heat you know there were times throughout the summer here in florida that i was training for my ultra marathon running i ran 250 mile ultra marathons this summer here in florida and the, the temperature was you know, well and truly into 100 degrees Fahrenheit while I was racing those races. What ultimately happens is you can condition yourself to thrive in that environment, but if you do it too fast, you're going to cause problems for yourself. Now with the heat conditioning, one of the things that I would do is I would go out and I would run in the middle of the day for you know, a 10 mile run, a 15 mile run, and I wouldn't drink any water on that run. And then I would come back and pour myself a scorching hot bath and I would sit in the hot bath for 45 minutes with, still without having had any water. At that point, you need to be super connected to what's happening inside yourself because you can very easily black out. You can very mm-hmm. easily lose consciousness. If you're in the bath, you're gonna drown. If no, no one's home, you're gonna end up in a lot of trouble. So we, we approach that very gently. So that's, that's conditioning. Movement is the fourth key. Now, when we move, we move in a primal way. There's ways that we can move our body that will expend our energy. There's ways that we can move our body that will restore and replenish our energy. Being barefoot on the earth is one of those ways. We can run in a way that actually regenerates charge, so we can run further if we're barefoot. Doing Qigong is another example of that. All those twisting movements of Qigong that regenerates charge. So we learn mm-hmm. to move in a way that our body moves and twists and turns. And it's the way our body was designed to move. One of the things that um, the, the Qigong master that I was training under said long spine, long life. You know, our spine is made to be long, our spine is made to be flexible. And so many people, once they get to that, you know, golden age of 40, their spine is rigid and they're constantly getting sore backs. Your mm-hmm. spine's not meant to be sore like that. your spine is meant to be super flexible so that that was um, primal movement that's key number four key number five is silence being able to sit within that silence and stillness within yourself now we are so distracted in this day and age everyone's got one of Mm -hmm. these you know every second of the day we've got our faces in something that's active and we're engaged with it constantly we need that constant stimulus taking that time to step back from that constant stimulus and finding that stillness within ourselves. And when the mind starts to wander, when the mind starts to go here and there and it does it a hundred times a minute, we say with gratitude, no mind, I I appreciate what you're doing. You're doing what you were given to me to do, but you're you're not controlled right now. Come back here. We're going to focus on the breath for a minute. We're going to stay Mm -hmm. still. And so that's stillness. The next key, key number six, is all about change being able to embrace change. We're too rigid in our lives. We want things to remain the same. We want security. We want safety and we want comfort. And we do whatever we can to keep those things in place. The world is a dynamic place. The universe is full of dynamic energy. And being able to embrace that change and flow with it, it's very much like a river that flows. And when it hits a boulder, it doesn't just stop because that boulder is within its way. It finds a way to flow around it. So -hmm. we need to start embracing those elements of change within our life. And then the final key is commitment. If we're not committed to our path within ourselves, it's pointless and even starting.
0: Yep, beautiful. <clears throat> that's beautiful. Uh, I think that's gold, and whatever you shared. And uh, thank you. Back backed by real experience, not theory, right? Exactly. It's it's backed
1: by my experience, and that's yeah, yeah, that's, yeah the, that's, the, what meant. That's, that's what that's I That's the point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But having said that, I've also taken people through these these keys, and yeah. I've seen amazing results in the people that I've worked with within yeah. these keys. So it, it's it's not something that's unique to me. It's my experience, but it's not unique to me. I can replicate yeah. this.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think we covered quite a lot of ground. You, thanks for sharing, uh, you know, your journey and uh, where you are, and your your framework of how you think about some of these very important uh, aspects of living and this is all very important uh, very relevant by a lot of people might look at it as ancient wisdom but it fits mm-hmm. right in uh, we we're dealing with mental health issues we're dealing with stress um, so all of what what you're doing is very relevant and it also fits into you know endurance sports pursuits because mm-hmm. it's it's very much intertwined with uh, all of that uh, we talked about. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. Uh, kind of moving on. I have a fun Q and A round with all my guests, mm. and um, and I'm sure you uh, you have a lot of fun. You you definitely have a lot of fun. Your your life is full of adventure, man. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I think these are things that we're going to see in movies. The kind of things you've done. So, uh, but uh, but I have a few questions that we can dwell on for fun of it. Uh, yeah, if you ready let's, for that. Let's go.
1: Absolutely, let's roll on.
0: First off, I know I know food is the first key that you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but at the same time, as humans, um, we do indulge. So my quest mm. question is: Do you have do you eat junk food, and what's your favorite one, if at all? Of
1: course, I eat junk food, and again. The point is you need to choose it rather than choosing yeah. you. But that's yeah. that's beside the point. We've already done that. So so in the interest of fun, uh, junk food, I think pizza is something that I'm a really big sucker for. If it's a good pizza. Good pizza.
0: Yeah. It's still healthy. <laughs> it's still healthy. In your, <laughs> what you eat is healthy junk food. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite pre-long run meal? What do you prefer? Well, uh, once again, it's going to be
1: pizza, um, and, and that's something that I, I almost have a ritual of, and I have since I was very young, is the night before a race, I'll have a large pizza, or I'll grab a couple of, uh, you know, like soft drinks or something like that. I don't really drink alcohol very much, very occasionally, but... Uh, I'll uh, yeah, I'll I'll get myself a nice dessert, um, maybe some uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream or something like that. I'll have a pizza. I'll have the ice cream. I'm just, you know, getting those final calories in before the event.
0: Yeah, you see, yogis do eat ice cream and yogis do have pizzas. It's the point is, like you said, it's just not eating it compulsively, but eating choosing it and having right. That that's really what the message is so eating it's junk food de- is not a bad thing
1: <laughs> definitely no, nothing yeah. is bad it's it's yeah. it's what's behind it yeah it's the absolutely. motivation
0: absolutely uh music do you listen to music mm. i love listening to music all right uh a song
1: that uplifts you uh life is a highway by i think it was uh what was his name I can't think of who sung it, but uh, th- there's a song, Life is a Highway, and I love that song. Every time I hear it, it's old school. I, I just feel really good. I'm also getting a lot into, um, there's a-, a Scottish drumming group called Clanadonia, and um, they're, they're, uh, they do a song called Bad, and whenever I hear that, I just have to start jumping around. I can't help it.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, what What else do you do for fun? other than running and other than running, I guess.
1: Yeah. So I love kayaking, Um, anything involved in nature. Uh, I love gardening. I love being out with my plants. Um, uh, I love shooting, whether it's firearms, rifles, or uh, my bow. I have a a compound bow that I love to shoot, uh, purely targets. I don't shoot at anything, but, you know, targets, but I enjoy the sport,
0: so. Okay, the last question I have, which is something I ask I'll make guess is, um, if we made a movie of your life, which I think is very interesting, uh, I'm sure any anyone in Hollywood want would want to sign you up. Uh, but let's see what you have, uh, what you say about it. If we made a movie of your life, what genre would you put it in, and who would you like to play your role? Oh, that is a really good question. Tough question,
1: I've got so many favorite actors. I, I often thought, um, so just you know, very quickly, if, if you don't mind, I, mm-hmm. I wrote a book called The Last Alchemist, which is available on Amazon right now. And mm. it's, it's a novel, but it talks about the, the hermetic principles of the universal principles of hermetic alchemy. And I always figured that if that was turned into a movie, the main character who was loosely modeled on me and my life uh, would be played by Keanu Reeves. Um, I don't know whether Perfect. he could quite pull off the beard or not. So, well,
0: yeah. we'll use computer graphics for that then. If <laughs> 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 he can't, do- well, that's a uh, great yeah. choice. Uh, and and uh, he's coming what back. Kind
1: of, uh, sorry. Uh, Go ahead. What kind? What kind of genre would it be? I think it would have to be. Um, it would have to be a, a like an action comedy, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, maybe something like the old school uh, Big Trouble in Little China with um, Kurt Russell. A little yeah. bit of comedy, a little bit of action, a little bit of mysticism woven in, something yeah. like that. I think that would be fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great, great choices, great choices. You did well. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, learned a few more <laughs> things about you in the process. Hey, we're kind of coming up to the end of our conversation. Um, mm. It was a very uh, insightful and Fascinating insight into what you do. Uh, Obviously, you know you live on the edge. You you know you've lived on the edge. You're still living on the edge. You're pushing the boundaries, exploring new things. Um, I'll give you the last word. Any final message to the audience? Anything you want to say before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, don't compromise. You know this this version of life. We don't know that you're going to get another shot at this. There's talk reincarnation. You're going to come back. There's speculation. We don't know. Science can't back that up yet. There's no evidence of that. As far as we know, this is all we've got. And so don't compromise. You know, if you're not happy in a situation, change it. It's reflecting an element of yourself. So you have control over that. All you need to do literally, other than taking outward action, is to ask yourself inside, what is it inside myself that this situation is reflecting right now? When you find that, and you make a move to change it, the external will respond and you will change your life for the better. So don't compromise.
0: Wonderful. Again, C, thank you so much uh, for taking time out and sharing yourself here. I'll let you go and have a wonderful rest of the evening and I wish to stay in touch.
1: Absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you.